You know, it's an interesting thing. If you've ever um, been in a position where you've tried to hire someone, and, and maybe some of you work in larger corporations where you have an HR department, so you've got the skills and the people to do it. But I think anyone who has done any kind of human resources where you're actually in that hiring phase will tell you that it's not an exact science, right? It's not easy. You can look at resumes and profiles and, and look at these things and, and kind of wonder, you know, it look like they got everything in place. Well, my mind's a little wacky and I think weird things from time to time. Can you imagine God? Our God, Father in heaven, and he in heaven um, wants to reveal himself to people, his children. And he has a heart and desire to do so. And yet, he also recognizes that that revelation will only be received by certain hearts. There's only certain hearts that are receptive to that revelation. So, if you were to fill out a profile, and, and let's say God the Father has a, a host of angels working in his HR department. He's saying, I want you to look for my children down on earth who are receptive of receiving an awareness and an understanding, a connection, an encounter with me. What do you think would be on that profile? What do you, what do you think that a team of angels are kind of going through here? Kevin Meyer. Uh, what do you think would be on the profile of God's HR department as he is thinking about revealing himself to a, to a child that he has created, wanting to have them encounter his living presence to know and to live in an awareness of that. Well, in a sense, that's what this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today is about. If you look at Matthew 11, verses 25 through verse 30, we're going to take a moment to look at that. But before we do, I want to share with you that where we've been, we've been looking at, um, and Matthew puts it in this way after he has, he has shared who Jesus is throughout the first ten chapters or so, and then he sent out his, his disciples to do some of the kind of lead work. He comes to chapter 11 and he starts talking about the different kind of responses that people have to God coming, wanting to have an encounter with them. And I think it's interesting because he begins with one that's kind of surprising. It's, it's, it's John the Baptist, who is the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. And I think he puts it there for a reason and for a purpose, because there are times when God begins to move in a person's life. And if you are here and you, you, you've never really had a whole lot of teaching about God and in the Bible and what it means to encounter him and to experience a, a revelation from him, and you may be having some people in your life and you, 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 who have kind of given you a picture of maybe what God is like, and, and then you yourself have had some maybe a scripture or something where you've been beginning to feel a sense of prompting. In a sense, we say God is starting to move. And you kind of experience that around you. And you might come to a place of honest questioning. Even one of the greatest Old Testament prophets had to, at a point, he went through some honest questioning. Some of you might be in a position where you've had God reveal himself to you. And you've been in a place now where you're beginning to wonder. and you're, you haven't, It's not alive. It's not fresh. Things are moving and changing. And, and you're in this place of honest questioning. Well, Jesus goes on. And Matthew tells us that not only was uh, this response, there was this kind of sense of honest questioning, there was also this, 
This response of constant complaining. Jesus gives a story of these children who are playing in the marketplace and, 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 and they're, they're singing, they're playing games, the funeral game and the wedding game. And, and, and it's the idea that God comes to them to reveal himself, to, to allow for them to have an encounter in every and any and whatever way he could. And every time he invites them in, they kind of complain and they stand on the outside and they criticize. And then there's another group. Now, Jesus, as you look at the verses prior to these verses here, where Jesus comes to these cities, these cities, where in this city there were some people who responded, but for the, for the vast majority, as God is moving, they're really just amused with a sense of indifference. They look at it, they see the miracles, they hear the teaching, they go, wow, that's interesting, and they go, that's okay, and they go on with their life. Did I get anybody yawn with me? Well, Matthew moves from those who reject Jesus to those who accept and follow Jesus. In verse 25, he's talking about the receptive heart. These angels are looking at profiles of what the heart is like that is open to an encounter with God to see and to know and to experience him. And he says at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. It's interesting. He says at that time, which is really just a loose connective. And we've been saying throughout this study on Matthew that it's not necessarily chronological. Matthew is not trying to give you a chronological history. He's giving you what I call more of a thematic history. He's building a case and trying to bring people to understand through the life of Jesus, which is what a gospel is, is to share the life of Jesus. And through these different stories, he is helping people see as they read it who Jesus really is. So that in the same sense that the people who who were in front of Jesus on a day-by-day basis, you would, as you would read this, be confronted with and you would encounter the living God. And so as he goes through these different responses, he now brings you to a response of those who are receptive to him. And it's a very interesting, the transition is kind of sudden. Because he's been at one point now going along and talking about those who criticize and then he condemns those who are indifferent. And now all of a sudden he, he breaks into this personal prayer. And Matthew just uses this this at that time. In Luke's gospel, this prayer actually follows a time when the 72 that he sent out, which represented all the nations, the table of nations back in Genesis. He says that these 72 to the whole world represented that they are going out everywhere. They come back and they are filled with joy. They are so excited because they have seen as they have been instruments of God's very presence. And God has revealed himself through them to the lives of others. They've actually been able to see the power of God demonstrated, the finger of God who would come in and he would heal and he would remove demonic spirits and they came back so excited and and that's when jesus breaks out into this prayer i think he breaks out in his prayer luke because he's going this message this life of god this encounter this living relationship that a person can have with my father has been transferred and it will go throughout the whole earth and it says only in luke the only time it's mentioned that jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit, breaks out in prayer. And this is the prayer. 
Matthew uses this prayer, though, to reveal a picture of those who accept God's invitation to know and to follow him, which is what our mission statement is about. What our desire as a church to do is is to merely help people take their next step, that we ourselves will take our next step as models as well to to know more fully and to walk more closely and follow Jesus. And one of our primary values what our hope is on Sunday mornings or through different ministries is that people will encounter God. They will experience, they will see this concealed God will be revealed. And so he gives this profile of those who respond. And it's a very personal prayer and it's very intimate. One of the commentators named Tasker says, it is often in a person's prayer that his truest thoughts about himself come to the surface, right? I mean, I'm not talking about where you kind of pray and it's just kind of, you know, God, thanks for the meal. I'm talking about the prayers that come from your heart. And that's what you have here. For this reason, the commentator says, the thanksgiving of Jesus here recorded is one of the most precious pieces of spiritual autobiography found in the Synoptic Gospels. And so here's the profile of the receptive heart, according to Matthew's gospel. I'm going to give you that profile in a sentence. Uh, It is my synopsis of these three kind of sections or chapters, verses 25 through 26, verse 27, and verses 28 through 30. Verses 25 through 26 is about revelation. He reveals what's been concealed. Verse 27 is all about relationship, how you relate to this father. And verses 28 and 30 is all about an invitation to rest. There is a way to do life with God and with others that is easy, easier. Not that there isn't difficulty and suffering and all the things that need to happen. Not that there isn't death to ourselves, but it's not the stressed, wearied, burdened heaviness. And so the sentence that I give people is like a child through Jesus by following Jesus or living in life God's way. That's how you enter the presence of God. The, re, the receptive heart comes like a child through Jesus and follows Jesus. You enter the presence of God like a child. Not childish, but childlike is what he means here. Unlike those who complain and stand outside and criticize, unlike those who are preoccupied and indifferent, who yawn in the face of God, here are people who are are eager and excited and receptive. They're like little children, is what he says. And that's why he exclaims with joy in verse 25 around that time. It was during Jesus' time of popularity. He had, become, he had become very popular, and now his popularity was beginning to wane. People were beginning to make decisions about who this Jesus was. And there were a group, as it said, were indifferent, and a group who began to criticize, and then some who wanted to actually kill him, and there were some who were receptive. And so Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you in earth because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. And guess what? Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. I praise you is the same word if you, you were to look back at Matthew chapter 3, verse 6. It's, it, it's used, as Matthew uses it, of those who were coming to John the Baptist, and, and the word is they were confessing their sins. It's the idea of acknowledgement. When he says, I praise you, it's the idea of acknowledgement. They came to John the Baptist acknowledging their sins by confessing them is what it means. And so Jesus is saying here, I acknowledge you, Father, by praising you. And and what's he praising him about? If you read these verses, what he's praising 
the father about is that the father has it spot on when it comes to those profiles of receptive hearts. The father in heaven is right on target with those that he reveals himself to. But Jesus comes and acknowledges through praise that his father once again has got it right. And it's something that even pleases the heart, makes dad, our father in heaven, really happy when he sees these kind of hearts. Would you be ticked off if God revealed himself to the spoil sport who only wanted to play the game if God would play it his or her way? Yeah, I, you know, God, yeah, it's fine as long as it's my way. Wouldn't you be a little ticked off if God revealed himself to the apathetic admirer who couldn't care less about God, who was somewhat intrigued by what he was doing, but really didn't care to necessarily engage in it? And Jesus acknowledges through prayer the great wisdom of our God and Father who is looking for hearts today, looking here at every one of our hearts and, and, and seeking to see whether it's receptive or not. And so as we read in verse 19, wisdom is proved right by her actions, which is a weird statement just a few words before. But the, the, the reason he says that is that, that, that God, once again, his wisdom is made right by the way he acts. He actually rejects those who are coming to him. He says that he comes to him in every and any way he can. He plays whatever game they can in order to get into their lives, in order to have some sense where their hearts might be receptive to him, and they, they continue to refuse. And it says wisdom is proved right by her actions. And once again, as we read this, the Father, he says, I praise you because you're proved right by your wisdom. And he reveals himself to those like a child. God is the Lord of heaven and earth, which is an interesting thing. When you look at these words that Jesus says, he says, Lord of heaven and earth, who freely reveals and conceals um, according to his will. He's not capricious. He's not arbitrary. He's a father. And his love compels him to reveal himself to his children. But only a certain kind of child. Only a certain kind of heart. Who will accept this revealing presence of God. It's really interesting that you need to keep the sovereignty of God. Because that's what Jesus does. He says the Lord of heaven and earth. And he, he always connects it with the Father. Because if you get one off of the other, you lose reality of this God. He's a perfect father, fully loving, fully trustworthy, who doesn't act arbitrarily. And as a father, he reveals himself to all and to anyone who comes to him like a child. And that's why he says you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. We're going to find in a moment that he's not talking about the fact that you, if you're wise or you're learned and you're educated, you're smart, you know, you're not going to, you don't fit the profile. That's not what he's talking about. And the reason you know this is by the very word he uses, little child. The, the actual Greek word is important here. It's nepios. And this word is that of a little baby. And the word is described in a number of different places in Scripture. But I'll just give you a few because as you, you look at how it's used in these places, it gives you just a picture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, and in Hebrews 5, it's used of those who drink milk and yet can't eat solid food. That's, that's the little child he's talking about. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, you have that passage of Scripture that you know, used to think like a child and speak like a child. The idea here of that kind of child is one who hasn't really learned yet to speak well. They speak this kind of garbly language. You know how little kids do? They're usually under two. 
And then in Ephesians 4.14, it refers to those children who are helpless. And Jesus says those who accept, here's the profile, the revelation of God is received when encountered, they encounter God, are, are the kind of people who are like helpless babies who can't yet speak and haven't yet begun to eat solid food. That's the picture that Jesus gives. That's what the people are seeing. That's the profile. They are dependent. They're the kind of baby that is yet, and in that culture and in many cultures today, um, they will wean a child to almost two years of age. It's that idea that they haven't yet come to a place where they're actually eating solid food. They're speaking still gibberish. They're not speaking even words yet, and they're totally helpless. In fact, if you left the baby alone, that baby would die on its own. It is so totally dependent on that parent. There is no sense of self-sufficiency. It's not as if you leave the baby there, the baby's going to kind of waddle off and, and find something to eat and, and somehow take care of itself and, and nurture and grow. It is this little baby that if you were leaving that baby outside all by itself, that baby would die because it is so totally dependent, completely, 100% needs a parent. And basically, those who enter God's kingdom receive his revelation. Think about it. The person who, is, who encounters God, whom God no longer conceals himself but begins to reveal himself, is like that. That's what he's saying. If you fill out the picture, you're dependent. They're not independent or self-sufficient. They're helpless and they recognize it. They're empty and they know it. They have nothing and they're aware of that. And Jesus is not making some comparison between smart and dumb people or educated and uneducated people, between those who are wise and those who aren't. Jesus is agreeing with praise to his Father that those who receive the revelation of God are totally dependent on his grace and mercy. That's it. it it's the song we sang. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. It is your face that I seek. And when your eyes are on this child, not because I come to you with all kinds of gifts and abilities, not because I've come and figured it out in my mind, not because in some way you owe me something and you're dependent in some way on me, but because I am so totally desiring and seeking and knowing that nothing in and of myself could allow you or force you or make you reveal yourself to me. It is a totally humble position. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace, your goodness, your free will, your favor, your good pleasure, Father, abounds to me. Abounds to me. It's a comparison between those who think by their own intellect they can save themselves and those who know they can't. And as a result, they're totally dependent on God. I um, went to a funeral yesterday, and with all the things that were going on yesterday, it was one of those things where I go, oh, it's a good friend, their, their parent had died, and we've known this family for a long time. And, and you know, it was one of those things where Grace goes, I'm going. You're going to go? I'm thinking I got this message and all this. And, and I thought, you know, <laughs> relationship, Kevin, is more important than... And I and I went and I'm so I'm so glad I did. Not not to be there for someone whom we love and care for and, 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 and during this time, which really wasn't 
even so painful and stressful because this, this, this friend of ours, her, her mother had been expected to die for the last five, six years with a terminal cancer, etc. But what I was so grateful for is I sat in this, this funeral with a, with a hundred plus, maybe 150 people, and it was packed, and people actually standing in the back. And they sang a song, and after they sang a song, they said, we're just going to open it up because... There's a lot of people who want to share something, and people began to come forward. And, and they would come forward, and they, they came for this funeral of Mary Frances Crosby. This recovering alcoholic who had found what it meant to live in truth and to live in total love. Who had experienced this recovery through a supportive community, and through this community has been able to share Jesus with all kinds of people. But, but sharing Jesus in such a way that they, they come with all that they had and all that they don't have, and their lives are transformed. And, and it was amazing to me. These, these people lined up, and they would, they would share. And, and they would get up there, and they would say, My name is Claire. I'm a former alcoholic. And a hundred plus, it'd be as if I said, Hi, I'm Kevin, and I'm, I'm a sinner. And you all said? No, you don't say amen. You say, you haven't been in an AA meeting. That's okay, though. I like the amens. That's, 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 I'm not saying it's bad. But the context is an AA meeting we're in right now. Hi, I'm Kevin, and I'm a sinner. Unbelievable. Everyone would get up. Claire. Hi, I'm Claire. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Claire. And, and that person would share for a few sentences. Joe stood up. Janice stood up. Anna stood up. Heath, Jerry, Rosie, Rich, Jared. Jack stands up and he goes, you know what? You ruined my drinking, Mary Frances Crosby. And Mary's family became my family, says Jack. And then Larry. I mean, I could tell you story upon story, but Larry gets up and he goes, Mary knew. This is, this is the little child desperate knowing that, they're, that they are trapped and they are bound by their own sin, which is, in this sense is a symptom called alcoholism, and it's a whole bunch of other isms that we all experience. And it may not be alcohol in your life. It may be just a self-occupation and, and a preoccupation and a sense of pride that you can do it on your own. But whatever it is, Larry gets up and he goes, Mary, she knew how desperate I was to get sober. I'd come to her house where they had the meetings drunk. I'd crawl up her stairs. And she would say to the people, and she had very salty language, so I won't use it, but she'd say to the people, he would say, which, and, he, and he, he said, she would say, you know what, just leave them there. Um, we're glad you're here, but you're not ready yet. And he said, I would come there, and I would crawl up the stairs. I'd lay there. There was something in those people's faces that I wanted. I sat there and I thought, if that isn't an expression of what the love of God in the church is about, people who, who come, who are crawling before God and saying, God, they're not coming dressed up in order that they can kind of come that Sunday and, and, and go through some routine. They're coming so desperate that they want to come into the presence of God and they want to worship Him and give themselves to Him. There are people crawling desperately who are coming, even in His still stuck in sin state. He was able to hear very harsh words of truth from a lady, but he knew that it was said in the context and in the being of her love and that love and the faces of those who love this individual because they had been there drew them. 
And that's what the community of this church and every church should be about, is we are simple, dependent, totally the kind of people that are crawling into the presence of God saying, God, I've screwed up. I've messed up. I recognize that I need you. God, I recognize that the guilt of my sin weighs me down. God, I recognize if you won't forgive me, I will forever be outside your presence. I recognize that I've hurt and offended other people. And God, by your help, maybe you can help make some of those relationships right. God, I realize I've hurt and stolen from someone. And maybe by your help, I can come back and I can do those things that, that, that actually begin to bring about the right kind of relationship there whatever it may be this god is at work and jesus stands before the father and he goes oh father in heaven i look at at capernaum and chorazin and i look at Bethsaida, and they yawn at you they've got everything and then i look at these others these pharisees these religious leaders these people who think they know it all and they stand there complaining every way you come you come through john the baptist dressed in rags with a message of judgment, you come in me and I party with people and they call me a lush and it doesn't matter. They want to stand on the outside and complain and just criticize. But God, there are people even here in this room right now who in their hearts are saying, God, I want you more than anything. And I don't care about all the stuff that I might not get. I want to do one thing, and that's to give love and to create an atmosphere of love so that when people come, they look at the faces of the people sitting here when they walk into these hallways. They see people not so preoccupied in their own conversations, walking by them as if they're some shadow, but they see the eyes of people and they go, they love me. They love me. They go into an adult classroom and they come into this classroom and it's not a bunch of cliques. It's about people who really love people who are willing to be engaged in their life where it's more than just surface, but it's down to the depths where you know what's going on in one another's life in such a degree that you can speak truth to a person to their face and they know you love them. I'm, I almost feel like saying I'm sorry, but I just, I believe this to my core. I want a group of people. I want to be a part of something that is not just some church with a lot of programs that seems to be going well. I, 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 am, I am so tired of Fortune 500 churches with CEO pastors with Disneyland programs. They're not bad. God uses them. But I want the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives so that even my life, I can tell you I need it. I'm not saying I'm there, but that we would together say, God, make us loving, hungry people who are like children, who in that sense are so dependent that in order that little child has to actually nurse to get life, that my heart is one that says, I come to this table, not because it's some traditional thing that makes me feel good, but because I know in the breath in the blood, in the life of God through Jesus is the revealing presence of God that gives me the power and the ability to live this life in such a way that I will truly love my wife. I will learn how to be present with my children. I will learn to go to my workplace in such a way that I won't come around and be this judgmental. And I said it last week, prig with a G. Some people thought I said something else. But anyway. It means self-righteous person who's going around, who's, who people feel condemnation from that love. 
who stands on the sidelines when you're at a soccer game with your kids and, and, and you're a person who gets to know the other people and, and, and you're not there primarily just to try and win them to some kind of place where they'll go to a church. You're there just to love them for who they are. And Jesus says, that's how, that's the profile of the kind of person I am looking for. And I think he looks around the room today and he wants to see hands that says, that's what I want to be more than anything. And he goes on and he says, this all happens. You enter like a child through Jesus. Through me. I mean, talk about audacious. Our world would say that's pretty exclusive, pretty non-tolerant. So one way in a culture filled with all kinds of alternatives, just go into the grocery store and you can buy 15 different peanut butters today. You know what I mean? Peanut butter with a little jelly in it, peanut butter with certain nuts. Yeah, I mean, on and on. And, and not that alternatives are bad. But, but Jesus is just making a point. He, he's saying that if you really want to know the Father... You've got to get to know the son. In a generic way, it would be as if Jesus was just saying this, just as only a father knows his son, so only a son really knows his father. Now, we wouldn't disagree with that, right? If, I, if you came to me and you, and you saw my father and you maybe got to know him a bit in a working situation years ago, if you really wanted to get to know him in a more in, intimate way, you'd come to me. I could tell you a whole lot. That's really what he's saying. He's saying, here's the reality, folks. At a certain point in history, God in His great love wanted to reveal Himself, His whole heart to people. He didn't want him, people to know that, that you could only see God through His external uh, uh, characteristics of being strong and mighty and creative and all the things you see in creation. But God wanted you and me and everyone to know His heart. And so because He wanted us to know His heart, He chose to send His Son at a point in time in history. That's just reality. And, he, and Jesus is just so, he's not into you should do this. And he just says, here's reality. Do you want to buy it or not? It's really, if you, here's the truth. Do you, if you can accept it or not. I, out of deep love, I share this. Not out of condemnation. But Jesus made that very clear. I didn't come this time to condemn. I just came to share with you the truth. I mean, it's this way. If you're going to get to a candy, you know, in a, in a wrapped candy bar, how do you get to it? You got to go through what? Help me out. The rapper. And if you want to get to know the Father, you come through His Son. That's all He's saying. It's just a reality. And it's that Father-Son relationship that He invites you and me into. I love that this statement here when He just says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. So no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And He comes to those who are little children. We are like little children when it comes to the things of God and knowing God. And we come to Him like these little children being weaned who live our whole lives in that sense of dependence on God. And as we get to know this God through Jesus, we are His children. And like the Son, Jesus has a relationship with His Father. We as sons and daughters have a relationship with our Father. And I can promise you this. I know this from my own life experience. The only thing that will really change you and begin to out, uproot the habits of sin, the reactions that you have towards others because of your past story, your unmet hurts, and, and, and those needs that you have that are never fulfilled, the only way that those will be filled and healed is through this incredible 
baptism of love that comes through His Son, Jesus, when you enter into relationship and you understand that the Father in Heaven loves you like He loved His Son, Jesus. It's not only through the means of Jesus. He models for us how we live with God, the Father. And I can't tell you how important it is to know this incredible truth. That if you don't know, if you only know in your head, but if you don't know deep within the recesses of your heart how incredibly loved you are of God, you will not experience the fullness of life. You will end up having things in your life, patterns of sin that will not be taken care of, not healed, not dealt with. And he comes and he says, I want to pour out my love to you. Now, let me just ask you, if you think about it, Imagine how much the Father in heaven loves Jesus. Just think about it. Maybe as if you had a child that was perfect in every way, who was just this incredible star who stood out, and not only was he a great star, they just weren't proud. They actually gave their lives away, so willing to get their lives away that they would die, they would do whatever it takes to please the heart of this Father whose hearts are so in one. Now you look at that and you go, it makes a lot of sense that the Father would love Jesus like that, right? Now here's what Jesus says, catch this. That's how the Father loves you. And you go, I don't deserve it. And you go, it doesn't matter. It's because it's through Jesus. He looks at Jesus and he sees you as he sees Jesus. And he loves you with that kind of love. And it is that kind of love that changes a person's heart. And so he goes, it's not only through Jesus. Then he goes on, it's by following Jesus. And... uh, Come to me. It's the greatest, one of the greatest invitations in all of Scripture. It's only found in Matthew's Gospel. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus knew exactly what a yoke was. He was a carpenter. I'm sure that in that little town of Nazareth, which was probably had a, an agricultural community all around him, he made a lot of yokes as a kid. And he understood when a yoke was made poorly that it would harm the animal, it would injure the animal. In fact, in times, if it was made poorly enough, that that yoke, because you always yoked an animal, an ox, to another ox. When you yoked those two together, if one of them wasn't yoked correctly, you could actually kill that other ox. And he's basically just saying, the yoke you've been wearing of religion is killing you. The the more you try and come to God through your own efforts, through trying really hard, through your own self-sufficiency, if you take that path, you will be wearied and you will be burdened. You will always feel guilt. You will never know the forgiveness of God. You will never know the love that comes through Jesus because you're going to try and stand in your own goodness. And that will force you to be in a life where you'll want to compare yourself all the time. And so what you'll do is you try and compare people who aren't as good. So if you come to church and you're really self-righteous, you can compare yourself to the people who don't. But that's not the game that Jesus is into. He changes the whole paradigm. He says it's not about that. It's merely about this. There is an easy way. There is a yoke that is light. And it is one that comes through me to the Father. And as you watch me and as you understand me, I will yoke my presence to the Holy Spirit to your life. And it will be perfect in its ability to lead you. And you will find that when you are yoked up to Jesus because He loves you, He's gentle, He's humble, He understands you, He knows you, He's created you. 
that you can walk with him with a sense of ease. You can rest. And rest means all kinds of things. It means primarily this idea that you cease from motion and action. You stop laboring and exerting. You live at peace with this God who through Jesus has removed the burden of guilt and forgiven you. And I just want to say to some of you, are you tired of trying to measure up to God? There is an easy way. It's the one that just admits that I'll never be able to measure up to God. But there has been someone, Jesus, who has done that, and I am going to invest my whole heart. The word rest also means to lean on to, to, to put your whole weight onto something. I'm going to put my whole weight on this truth that Jesus loves me and that Jesus has saved me. And because of that, I am going to celebrate this love and walk in the light of that. I tell you, there's so many other ways I could talk about the rest. It talks about not being wearied or disturbed. It, it means that you believe so much in your heart. Again, you rest so much in the truth and the reality of this Jesus who has given himself to yoke himself with you that what you're going through right now, you need, you're not yoked to any. If you're yoked to Jesus, he knows exactly what you need. And it may be painful, it may be um, uh, full of a sense of, of, of the suffering that happens to life, but it's not for no reason. God is doing something. So what you ask yourself is this, God, thank you. I don't get this, but you know me, you love me, and Father, if you would send your son to die for me, surely you'll take care of what's going on here. My father, when he was... Um, a little boy grew up in the Chicago area, just a few blocks from Wrigley Field. And uh, I, I love this illustration because it, it gives me this idea and sense of rest of what it means to walk with God into things. He he would go to the Cub ballpark because they, they would park cars and say they'd watch him and then didn't do really what he was supposed to. He'd run over to the ballpark and then they'd sell orange crates for people to sit in. And then they would always stand around the entrance and try and get in. And he would always, you know, they'd try and sneak in, and once in a while they'd get in. Well, at one time, one of the Andy Fran ushers, they grabbed them, and they grabbed two of them, and they start pulling my dad away. And Claude Passo, who was the guy the year before who had the one hitter in the World Series when the Cubs lost uh, last time they were in the World Series. Anyway, um, comes walking by. He grabs hold of him because the guy just let go of him. He grabs hold of my dad. Andy Fran usher just took him on, and he looks at him and goes, this one's with me. He's with me. We have a little little thing down at Cub Park. They have these bricks you can buy where it says, Ken Meyer, he's with me. My dad walked into that park and enjoyed that day because he walked in with someone else who had all the qualifications to be there. And that's all Jesus is saying. You want to have the revelation and live in the revelation of God? Jesus comes along and goes to the heart that's just hungry and seeking and says, this one's with me. You can just you can enjoy it and rest. Let's pray, Father. I just would ask that you would take um, these words, and they'd be far more than words, but they'd be the the Spirit of God creating hearts that are coming together in oneness and community. That is creating the kind of place where the love of Jesus will flow. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.